Right, welcome everyone. Hope you're all doing very well. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is, is Jeremy. I'm one of the elders here at Real Life Church. I'm married to Becky. It's a rare occasion when she's able to hear me, but she's sitting in the front. Um, we have three kids. Joel, who's 17, he's finishing up his A-levels and planning to go to university next year, so we're dealing with all that that means to a family. At the same time, we have Caitlin, who is, is in year 11 and about to write her GCSEs and start thinking about what she's going to be doing after that, so we're dealing with all of that as a family. And then we have Isaac, who's eight and in, in year four, and he's chilling, and life's good for him. Um, so we're into week four of our sermon series, looking at the Ten Commandments. Stuart's done a brilliant job of introducing them over the last three weeks, um, so if you've missed any of those sessions, please do go online and, and catch up on those. I'm not going to go through the whole introduction again, but I would like to reinforce today a, a couple of things just to help us understand this fourth commandment. So let's have a, a quick look at the, the context. The commandments or the, the law play a, a starring role in, in what some of us call the meta-narrative of the Bible, and um, meta-narrative is just a, a big fat word to really kind of say um, the overarching story of the Bible from creation all the way through to the, uh, the, 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 the making of new heavens and new earth, the, um, the redemption or restoration of creation. And it's so important to have a, a broad understanding of this meta-narrative when studying individual texts in the Bible. It helps us to understand that text in the, the light of the whole teaching of Scripture, and helps us to avoid confusion or making mistakes about what a particular text means. For example, many people believe that the law and, and grace are diametrically opposed to each other, that the Old Testament is all about law and a harsh um, God that reckons judgment on those that, that violate his law, and then the New Testament's all about grace and a loving God who forgives um, all of those violations and, despite all of those violations, loves us anyway and lets us all go to heaven. Um, that's a massive misunderstanding of the meta narrative of the Bible because grace has a, a featuring role in the whole Old Testament. In fact, it appears long before law. And law features in the New Testament and um, features as a teacher which helps us to understand our need for a saviour and our need for grace. So they, they work hand in hand. Um, so when we approach the Ten Commandments, it's important to have that in view, especially this one, as it reminds us of God's work in creation it reminds us of the covenant made with Abraham. It reminds us of the liberation of the Israelites from captivity in Egypt. It reminds us of God's provision for them while they were in the wilderness. And as Christians, it reminds us of a greater deliverance from a more fearsome captor in the finished work of Christ. It's also worth remembering that the law was not given as a way of earning the approval of God, but rather it was given to a people who had already been freed by God and who were already recipients of his undeserved favor. Yet God expects his people to take them very seriously and to enforce them. I don't know if you've ever thought um, where a week came from. 
Have you ever thought about that in terms of um, why do we have weeks in our calendars? I mean, days are easy. Days are Earth's rotation around its own axis. Months are sort of roughly aligned to the lunar cycle, whereas years are aligned up to the, the Earth's rotation around the sun. So all sort of physical, scientific, verifiable um, ways that the universe works. That's how we've organized our calendar. But what about the week? The only reason we have a week in our lives, the only reason we cycle through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, is because that's the way God introduced himself to us as a God who works for six days and rests on the seventh. And when he described how he created the earth and how he rested after his creation, he introduced Sabbath principles into the world. And when we look at the Bible, we can see that this is effectively the church calendar that God has given us. The church calendar is fundamentally a weekly calendar of celebration of God's work in creation and resting every seven days. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with us celebrating other things, like celebrating Good Friday or, or Easter or Christmas. There's, there's good cultural, there's good theological, there's good biblical reasons for doing that. But when you look at the Bible, the only calendar you see in there is the seven-day calendar that God gave to Israel and God continues to give to the church. With that in mind... Let's have a look at the text. Let's have a look at this the simple commandment that we all know so well. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the fourth commandment then is, is the last commandment that describes how we are to relate to and worship to God. So the first one was essentially, you'll not worship multiple gods like the culture you came out of. There is only one God and he is jealous for your worship. The second one was, you'll not put your trust into anything that is created or anything that misrepresents my character. The third um, was that you wouldn't be careless with the use of his name, um, that you'd that you wouldn't use him to make empty vows, that you wouldn't use his name to express your frustrations. And now we come to the fourth and last, which is worship me weekly. From here on, the commandments are concerned with how we treat each other. They will still teach us about God's character, but through teaching us how we treat each other. The Israelites would have understood the fourth commandment to be the most important of all. There's a couple of reasons for this. It's the longest one. It's the most detailed. Um, Sabbath observance is mentioned more often than any other of the Ten Commandments, 11 times alone in the Pentateuch, and over 100 times in the Old Testament. 
The Sabbath is the only other day in the Jewish calendar besides the Day of Atonement where all work is strictly prohibited. And it's the only one of the ten which the Lord clearly gave to Israel before they'd reached Mount Sinai. So let's look at it a little more closely. It's broken up into three parts. It's uh, broken up into verse 8, which tells us what to do. Verse 9 to 10, which specifies how we are to do it. And verse 11 explains why on earth we do all of this. So first off, the what. What does God want us to do? Fairly simple. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But not remember like... um, you remember that you were meant to write an exam today, but you haven't done your revision. Or, or remember that um, this was the day that 9-11 happened. It's more like remembering an anniversary. This kind of remembering is a, an active kind of remembering. It, it takes uh, more than just waking up in the morning and turning around to your spouse and saying, oh, I remember it's our anniversary, happy anniversary, and you, that's it. It probably takes dinner, maybe a movie, Um, possibly some jewelry. Um, It takes some kind of effort. It takes a way of making that day special. And it's the same with the Sabbath. I heard that. (laughs) And it hurts. (laughs) And I love you. (laughs) But it does. It's that kind of remembering. It's not the sort of glib kind of, oh yeah, it's the Sabbath. Oh, on this day we remember that um, God rested after all of his creation. It's, it's, like, it's like an anniversary. And now because of all of that, I've lost my place. <laughs> um, so what is it that the Jewish people were meant to remember? There was one thing that it definitely calls them into remembering, and that is in their journey through the wilderness to Mount Sinai, God provided for them. He provided them manna six days a week, but on the seventh day, there was no manna, and they were instructed to collect enough manna on the sixth to last through the seventh, and miraculously, the manna would last two days on that, that, that cycle rather than the one day for every other cycle. So they knew that while they were going through the desert, God was already establishing in them a uh, a cycle of working for six days and resting on the seventh. So it was a a call to remember. Remember that Sabbath. Remember my provision to you through your journey through the wilderness and remember that you were to rest and honor me on the seventh. And secondly, he knew that they were and we are prone to forgetting about the work of God in creation and redemption. And when we forget, we fail to praise him for making us, for saving us. But the fourth commandment is like God's memorandum to his people, reminding them to give him glory for his grace. So that's the what. What about the how? And God gives like very explicit instructions for keeping the Sabbath holy. He begins by telling us not what to do on the Sabbath, but what to do before what to do with those six days before the Sabbath. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. You shall labor and do all your work. Although this part of the fourth commandment is often overlooked, it is our duty to work, 
It's our calling to work. And believe it or not, it's a blessing to work. Um, This doesn't mean that we have to work all day, every day, but it does mean that God governs our work as well as our rest. He's given us six whole days to do our earthly calling. He could quite easily have turned it around and said, I'm I'm giving you six days to worship me and one day to get all your work done. But he's been generous to us, as he has with our stuff, as he has with the tithe. He says, I've given you everything. I could insist that you give it all back to me and you can keep a tenth, but instead I'll take a tenth as a way of reminding you that I'm your provider and you get to keep the 90. He's doing a similar thing here with the Sabbath. And the truth is, it's very difficult to grasp the value of the Sabbath if you can't grasp the value and beauty of working. A lot of people have a negative attitude about work. At best, work is treated as a necessary evil. Um, sometimes it's even thought that work is the result of sin. Um, but in fact, it's a divine gift. And if you look at Genesis 2 verse 15, it goes all the way back before the fall, where the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, it doesn't end there. We, we know that our work was cursed. The trouble came after the fall when Adam had sinned that then God said to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. We like to remember that bit, but not the bit before. It wasn't like that from the beginning. God ordained us to work from the very beginning. It's part of what perfect creation looks like. People working and stewarding over the creation that God has given them. And the fourth commandment reminds us how to honor God by doing a solid week's worth of work. We find God's blessing in doing what he's called us to do. How else do we keep the fourth commandment? By worshiping the Lord on his day. By worshiping him on his day. By keeping it holy. To keep something holy in the biblical sense is to to dedicate it exclusively for worship, to separate it completely from secular activity and put it in a special place where it is only used for holy things. So if you think about any of the materials that were used in the temple, they were made holy. They were dedicated for holy use alone. They couldn't be used for any normal, menial, secular task. That's what this means in, in, in light of the Sabbath Keep the Sabbath day holy. Keep it special. Keep it for worship. The the book of Leviticus calls the Sabbath a holy convocation in uh, in chapter 23, verse 3. Now, I'm not sure what a convocation means, so I looked it up. Um, And apparently it means a gathering. So it's a holy gathering, meaning a time to gather for corporate worship. Jesus endorses this practice by attending weekly Sabbath services um, at the synagogue. So the the fourth commandment is stated both positively and negatively. Stuart's mentioned that all of the commandments have a positive and a negative aspect. And even when they're only stated in a negative sense, we need to consider what the implied positive sense is. This commandment has both positive and negative stated explicitly in the commandment. The positive requirement comes first, which we've looked at, and then there is this absolute prohibition. On it you shall do, not do any work. 
Now, I'm not going to go into the detail, but how seriously did Israel take this commandment? Very seriously. It was strictly um, managed. If you consider the man who, who gathered wood on the Sabbath in Numbers 15, he was stoned to death. Or a more positive example, the, the woman who wanted to prepare the body of Christ for burial. Luke 23 verse 56 says, When they returned and prepared spices, then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. I mean, think about it. Gathering wood was such a, a small thing to do. What is the harm in, in doing that on the Sabbath? Taking spices to the tomb of Christ was a, a noble act of piety. So why not go ahead and, and do it? And the answer was simple. Because God had commanded. God had commanded a day of rest. It wasn't a divine suggestion. I think it's interesting how we do regard God's commands these days. I was thinking about it um, a bit. And, you know, we, we look at these first four commandments, just as I've said, as, as perhaps divine suggestions. And we're a bit better at keeping the other six. Don't murder, don't steal, etc. But, but actually not that much better. Think about it a bit more. What about adultery, coveting, lying? Yeah, you know, we can, we can kind of bend the rules on those ones. I'm not sure if it's because of our general relationship with authority in the West or something a little more sinister. All I know is that we tend not to speed when we know that the law can be enforced. Stuart's mentioned speeding a couple of times. I'll be honest with you, I speed. Except when my Google Maps tells me there's a camera coming up. And then I come down to like, you know, within 10% of the speed limit. Um, because there's something inside of me that says, I know this law is going to be enforced, so I'm going to be a little more diligent in obeying it. But why on earth do we not treat God's law in the same way when he can definitely enforce them? It's not like he has a shortage of budget for the police services. You know what I mean? He's given us the law, but he's also... He's also the enforcer of the law, and he's the judge. So you break his law, I promise you, he's going to enforce it, and he's going to hold you accountable for it. And yet we treat them quite glibly compared to other laws that we observe. But anyway, sorry, back to the text. Additionally, this rest was for everyone to enjoy. On it you shall do, not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. So we see that the fourth commandment has profound implications for the whole of the Jewish community. When it comes to work and leisure, parents are to set the agenda by teaching their children how to worship and rest. By including servants, the command also teaches that employers have a responsibility towards their workers to care for them. In the ancient world, there was a sharp division between, between masters and slaves. But here is a, a description of a new social order in which you all work and you all rest. Work and leisure are not divided along class lines. Everyone should work, everyone should rest, because everyone should be free to worship God. And then the law extended this right to the gates of the city 
and included everyone in the whole community, including those that were visiting. It, it included animals, it included donkeys and camels, and it shows how God wanted all of his creatures to get some relief from their labor, that all of creation is to remember its creator. Now, just imagine for a moment, I mean, I remember what it was like back in South Africa when I was about 12, and I was walking the streets on Sunday trying to find someone to play with, and they were nowhere to be found because their parents had locked them indoors to eat dinner and to stay with their family. And then I would walk to the, the shop on the corner and realize, ah, it's Sunday, it's closed. And my parents wouldn't take me to the beach because it was Sunday and, and we're, we're, we're just downing tools for the day. I kind of remember that, and I suppose because of that I have a picture of what it would be like if all of creation rested for one day out of seven. But just imagine that. That today, everything just goes quiet. Everybody rests. Everyone puts their phones off. Everyone stops checking their emails. We don't even prepare for Monday until Monday morning. In fact, we've done our preparation on Saturday, so we feel so chilled on Sunday because we know what's coming up on Monday morning and we don't have to worry about it. Just imagine that. What are we commanded to do? Keep the Sabbath holy. How do we keep, how do we do this? By working six days and then dedicating a day to the Lord for worship and rest. But why are we commanded to do this? And the reason is, is simple. We call to rest and we call to work because we serve a working, resting God. Why should we remember the Sabbath? Because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Keeping the Sabbath may be the oldest of the Ten Commandments because it goes all the way back to the creation of the world. And there are loads of reasons that we've seen for keeping the Lord's day holy. It promotes the worship of God. It restores us, both spiritually and physically, so it's for our benefit. It's good for children. It's good for workers. Potentially, it's even good for animals. Uh, here, there's some scientific evidence that if animals chill on the seventh day, that they're healthier. Um, but our fundamental reason for obeying the fourth commandment is not practical. It's not about all of those good things that it can do for us, but it's theological. It's because God made the world in six days, and then he rested. His activity in creation sets the pattern for our own work and leisure, and so our own work and leisure reflects our God for all eternity. There's one more reason for keeping it holy, for keeping it a day of rest. And it's not mentioned here in Exodus. It's mentioned in Deuteronomy, where the Ten Commandments are repeated. And there the, the what of the commandment is virtually identical, but the, the why is different. Um, I'm not sure if I've pulled it up or not, but essentially, Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 14, if you want to look it up, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The Sabbath looks back not only to creation, but also to redemption. It reminds God's people that they have been delivered from slavery in Egypt. And one of the benefits of their rescue was that now they don't have to work all of the time. They don't have to work 365 days a year, nonstop. But they get to rest every seven days. 
The Sabbath was not a form of bondage to them, but a day of freedom. It was a day to celebrate their liberation by giving glory to God. Now that's all great. That's, that's an exegesis of what the, the fourth commandment meant to Israel, and we'd assume how it applies to us. But really, what does that mean for Christians? What does, what is, what does it mean to, to live as a Christian, being saved by Christ, um, and then having to obey this particular law? Well, there's a lot of similarities. Like the Israelites, we are made in his image. And we are made in the image of a working, resting God. We still need to work. We still need our rest. And we can still receive the blessing of, of God's holy day. The, the big thing that has changed, the main thing that has changed is that we have received a new and greater deliverance. And we need to remember that. We don't celebrate the exodus. We celebrate the liberation from sin and death through the finished life of Christ on the cross. We no longer look back to that old exodus. We look to Jesus as the source of our salvation. He's the fulfillment of the fourth commandment, as he is the fulfiller of all of the commandments. The Old Testament Sabbath pointed to the full and final rest that can only be found in him. In a sense, we get to rest every seven days, but as Christians, we get to rest every day in his finished work for us. So he gives a whole new meaning to work and a whole new meaning to rest and he, because he came into the world to finish the work of his father. And it's on the basis of that work that he's able to give rest to our souls. Hebrews 4 really digs into this. Um, and, and the writer kind of, kind of probes what it meant to rest in the Old Testament, why the people of God failed to enter that rest in the Old Testament because of their disobedience. But still, for us, for those that believe, there is a rest that remains. So I'd encourage you to go and read that section of Hebrews 4 by yourself. And that's the, the primary fulfillment of the fourth commandment, that Jesus Christ has made it possible for us, even though we fail to enter rest through the Old Testament, we can enter into his rest for, for eternity. Secondly, Christ's work has transformed the, transformed the week for us. The, the Sabbath on a weekly basis is no longer on a Saturday. It's moved from Saturday to Sunday. Um, and, and sometimes, I mean, this is a technical point, but sometimes this confuses people. We have uh, the Seventh-day Adventists that adhere to uh, observing the Sabbath on a Saturday. So why do we come together on a Sunday to celebrate what God has done? And the answer lies in where Christ finished his work on the cross. So Christ was crucified on a Friday, and he died on a Friday. In fact, he gave up his life on a Friday because we were told that they were concerned that he wouldn't die until the Sabbath started, so they were going to come and break his legs, but they discovered that he was already dead. He'd given up his life, and he died on the Friday. He was in the grave Friday evening, and he rose again on the Sunday. So nothing happened on the Sabbath day. And what, what we have done as the church is we've moved, essentially, our day of worship to the day where Christ's work was finished on the Sabbath, 
on, on the Sunday, not the Sabbath Saturday, when he rose again. And, and you can see that in, in the history. The apostles started observing their day of worship then, a day later than the Sabbath. Um, we, we see in historical texts that it started being called the Lord's Day very early on. Um, a, a great theologian that's no longer with us, B.B. Warfield, explained it like this. Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him. He took it with him into the grave, and he brought the Lord's Day out of the grave with him on the resurrection morning. So the principle of the Sabbath is kept by keeping the Lord's Day holy, resting one whole day out of seven, although the specific day was provisional. The commandment is perpetual. It was carved in stone like all of the rest. Now, we've already spoken about three distinctions in the law. It applies to all of them. There's, there was the civil law, the moral law, and the ceremonial law. And um, the Old Testament teaching on the Sabbath includes aspects of all three of those. As a nation, Israel executed strict civil penalties for Sabbath breaking. We don't do that anymore. Don't know if you've noticed, but we don't stone people for picking up wood on a Sunday hasn't happened in a long time because that was a civil law with a, a civil penalty. And since, there's, since that's no longer in effect, to a degree, the fourth commandment has been made less severe. There's also the ceremonial aspects of the Sabbath. The rest it provided was a sign pointing to salvation. And its observance of the seventh day was part of the whole Old Testament system that found its fulfillment in Christ. But even if the fourth commandment was, has, has found its primary fulfillment in Christ, there remains an application for us because of the moral aspect of that law. So God is honored when Christians celebrate the Lord's Day. But we need to be careful. Our standing before God is not based on what we do on Sunday. We don't judge others for the ways that they keep or fail to keep the Lord's Day holy. We do not have a set of man-made regulations for keeping the Sabbath. Check out Romans 14, verses 5 through 6, or Colossians 2, verse 16, if you want to have a look at that. Essentially, that's what the Pharisees did, and, and Jesus condemned them. When they heard that they couldn't work on the Sabbath, the Pharisees wanted to know exactly what they could and couldn't do. So they developed this whole set of guidelines, and eventually those became so elaborate that that the true purpose of the Sabbath was lost entirely. We could ask ourselves, how do we avoid slipping into that same legalism as Christians? And I'd suggest that the way to do that is to remember that the Lord's Day is for celebrating the freedom that we have in Christ. Celebrating the freedom that we have in Christ. And this does not mean that anything goes. A call to freedom like the one we're given is never an excuse for seeking our own pleasure. Because essentially, if you're seeking your own pleasure, you're back in bondage. You're not free. The freedom that Christ gives us is the freedom to do what he has called us to do. However, the freedom that we have in Christ does not mean that for the Christian... Sorry, I've completely lost it there. <laughs> the Sabbath's not a straitjacket. That's the bottom line. It's not a straitjacket. Keeping the Lord's Day holy begins with working hard the rest of the week. 
The duty to work is for everyone, not just for people who get paid. We, we're all called to work in, in different ways. And even when we, we don't need to earn an income, we need to glorify God in whatever work we do. And that week of blessed free work starts, Sunday's the first day of the week, it starts with the Lord's Day. It's not a time of inactivity, but a day of worship, mercy, and rest. So the Lord's Day is for worship, first and foremost. It's for attending corporate worship, remember, a holy convocation, for fellowshipping with the people of God, for catching up on our spiritual reading, and spending the whole day in ways that really make it the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is for mercy. Jesus showed us this a lot. That's why he performed so many miracles on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees got angry with him. He was not violating the fourth commandment as they assumed, but he was fulfilling its true purpose. And we follow his example whenever we, we use the Lord's Day to welcome the stranger, to feed the poor, or visit and pray for the sick. And finally, the Lord's Day is for rest. The business person should rest from their business. Stay at home, mum or dad, from the housework. Try that. Um, the student from their studies. Christians have always recognized that some work is necessary. We know that. We understand that. People who provide essential services or, or, or in um, the medical sector, in public safety, ministers who, who work in churches and prepare sermons and, and work all the way through Sunday, people who do that kind of work are, are wise to set another day aside to rest. It's important to keep that principle alive, even if it's not on Sunday. And there are also some basic chores that need to be done, but, but in essence, this is a day to close the calendar, to go off the clock, to put away the to-do list. It's a day to step out of the frenzy, to stop buying and selling and quit worrying about profit and loss and margin. And in a culture that increasingly treats Sunday like any other day of the week, we need to resist the tendency to let our work enslave us, for us to go back to Egypt. We need to keep the Lord's Day holy. It's a biblical answer to workaholism. Now, I know what's going on. There's a bunch of you that are doing this, and I do it as well. At this point, everyone's going, okay, so what can I and can I not do on the Sabbath? Can I watch TV? Can I throw a ball? Can I go to a restaurant? Can I play Monopoly, or do I have to stick to Bible trivia games? There's, there's a huge danger in, in making any kind of universal application on, on that, it's prone to Phariseeism. You're going to have your own long lists of things that you can't do, that you desperately want to do. And it's easy for us to slip back into legalism. In keeping the fourth commandment, there's room for Christian freedom, for a, a wise exercise of, of godly judgment. And my fear is that when we start asking questions like those, it's usually because we want to know what we can get away with. We want to know how far we can go without actually breaking the fourth commandment. And if you're looking for a loophole in the Lord's Day, I think you're completely missing the point. God is calling us away from our own business to transact the most important business of all, which is to glorify Him in our worship and to, to give all that we have to Him as we rest in Him on that day. And when we try to make as much room as we can for our own pleasures, then we miss the greatest pleasure of all, which is fellowshipping with God. 
The more we learn to delight in God, the more willing we are to keep his day holy. The less likely we are to have a sort of spiritual ADHD where we're kind of like, yeah, I'm going to give a little bit of time to God, but as soon as I get bored, I'm going to go on to the stuff that I normally do um, and thereby be distracted from, from how amazing he is. And when we discover how to delight in God and to enjoy his day, we'll find that answering all of those seemingly complicated questions becomes so very simple. I'm going to finish up in a moment. Maybe the band can, can come up and we can close up. So, so what can we do now? The primary way that the Sabbath is fulfilled is in the finished work of Christ on the cross. So the primary application for us is to find our spiritual rest in Christ every day of the week, not just a Sunday. This is where we were going with Hebrews 4. We keep the fourth commandment by resting in the finished work of Christ. There was this rest that God wanted his people to inhabit. And yet in their rebellion, some of them never entered it. And in his wrath, God swore that his disobedient people would never enter his rest. But for those who believe, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Therefore, we must enter that rest. The word actually says we must strive to enter that rest. And how do we do that? By resting from our works as God did from his. This is the Sabbath rest that remains, that we trust in Christ believe in Christ, and rely on Christ instead of our own strength. Sabbath rest is about making Jesus Christ the center of who we are. It means ceasing to find approval in others. It means stopping the foolish quest of our own righteousness. It means trusting that truth, that true, sorry, that true health, that true strength, that true vitality and freedom can be found only when we cease from our labors and rest in Christ. And the second thing we can do is to be resolute in coming together to worship him every Sunday. Make it a priority. Maybe I'm preaching to the converted here, but make it a priority. What are we teaching our kids if we try and squeeze church in? Are we teaching them that Sunday is the day we gather with God's people? Or are we teaching them that, that we go to church when we can fit it in? It'll be hard for them to grow up and come to the conclusion that church is important for them if we raise them to think that it was only a third or fourth priority for us. We may be saying that Jesus is our Lord while we're showing that football is the real king. That's just one example. Do not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Listen, some of us are running like crazy, thinking, oh God, why don't you just give me some kind of break? And he says, I made this day for you, not to punish you or to keep you in bondage, but to give you the freedom you so desperately need. Some of you are desperately seeking the rest that you have not found in Christ. 
Or maybe you found it, but you, you frequently forget it. And you, you never stop working, cleaning, planning, plotting, fretting, fussing, worrying, and trying to prove yourself to your parents, to your spouse, to your kids or your church. You've never really appropriated what it means to have grace. There's always something else you need to do to show the world that you're worth something, that you're valuable, that you're loved, that you're okay. Here's God's Sabbath message to you. You don't have to earn anything. You don't have to prove anything. The world does not depend on you. Your salvation does not depend on you. In an ultimate sense, your family does not depend on you. Can you hear the voice of Jesus saying, Come to me, and I will give you rest. Take him at his word. Believe him. Trust him. Run to him. And then every Sunday, give expression to what you believe by giving him praise and giving yourself a break. So, Lord, as we come to kneel at your throne now, to sing songs of how great you are, Lord, we pray that you help us to enter your rest today, that you show us what it means to truly be a Christian, one who is able to enter into the eternal rest of God because of the finished work of Christ that we can work a full week while resting in the knowledge that we are, are in God's presence, that we are fully redeemed, that we are saved, that we have been reckoned holy because of the work that you have done, that we don't need to prove ourselves to anyone or anything. As we sing, I know that there could be a million words that could come about a million different things that we're all going through. But I really feel that what we need to do is right up front, let's stand. Let's stand together. You know what those things are. They're in your mind right now. No one needs to bring a word for you to know where you're falling short or the things that you feel bad about or the the things that you feel you're, you're failing in. Well, the things that are are pulling you down, whether they be external or internal, let's put out our hands. Hold those things in your hands. Let's just give them to Christ now. Let's just lay them at his feet at the cross and say, Lord, this is what I have for you. It's not beautiful. It's not amazing. These are not the kinds of gifts that I would like to give to you, but this is what I have. And I lay them down at your feet. And I ask, Lord, that you deal with them at the cross. That you put these things to death. And Lord, as, as, as we've done that, we want to worship you. And I just want to encourage you now. As we worship, as we sing, we are singing to God. We're speaking to God about how great He is. He may speak to you. He may speak back to you. 
But the primary purpose for our worship is to adore Him for who He is. And as we adore Him, as we raise Him up, as we make this Sabbath holy, He will bring restoration into our lives and give us rest. So Lord, we ask for that. We ask for your holy rest in your name. Amen.